Good morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? Happy Sabbath, yes? It's been nice and, and warm here in the Tri-Cities. It's, but it's been a dry heat. Right? That always cracks me up a little bit, you know. It's just a dry heat. It's like so, so is the oven, but, you know, I'm not spending any time in there, right? All right. So I read an article uh, about Jilly, uh, Jilly, <laughs> about Billy Joel's, it's going to be one of those days I could tell, about Billy Joel's dad. He had not given his son very much encouragement during his musical career. And so he's being interviewed, and later in his life, after Billy Joel had become very, very famous, someone asked his father why he had been so unwilling to encourage his son during the time that he was such a musical talent. And the father's reply was this, how was I to know that Willie would grow up to be Billy Joel? How was I to know that? Has anyone here grown up in a town or know somebody uh, that, that is, is, was a contemporary of yours that is a famous person? Anybody here? Uh, I've heard of some people in the Tri-Cities that kind of made it fairly famous. Uh, anybody grew up in a town where there was somebody? F- no, not really, huh? <laughs> oh, yes, okay. Very good, very good. Anybody else? The town from which uh, somebody famous grew up or was around? No? So I grew up in a place called New Rochelle, New York, and our claim to fame is, uh, uh, there was an old uh, comedian by the name of W.C. Fields, New Rochelle. Uh, There was a running back that played for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, He he got famous for other reasons than, he was very good, but, but then he did something really bad, and his name was Ray Rice. Have you heard of Ray Rice? Grew up in New went to the same high school I went to. Purple Wave, New Rochelle High School. Woo, yes. So many of you out there. Matt Dillon, the actor from New Rochelle. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And uh, Jay Leno. How many of you have heard of Jay Leno? He's from New Rochelle. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, from a spiritual perspective, the Apostle Paul was, was from New Rochelle, New York. No, just kidding. In case, you know. So, so... Uh, let me tell you about, uh, I, by the way, I was going to preach something totally different today, and then I just felt impressed. So if you're here, and this is the reason why I'm preaching this sermon, uh, I'm just going to let you guys figure out why it is. I don't know why, but I changed it. I will do that other one in two weeks, just so you know, as we finish up Contagious. But uh, I just felt impressed to, to do this. Um, how many of you remember the story of Jesus as a little boy? Uh, finally, they took him to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. I mean, remember the story. And uh, apparently there was, thank you, apparently there was a lot of people uh, on these travels, and so these families kind of traveled in packs. And so they, they kept traveling and traveling and, and going together. And now on the way home, it took them three days. Now, I don't know what kind of parents these are. I'm just telling you right now. It's a little odd that it took this long. I think my mom would have known immediately. But after three days, they began to say, hey, wait a minute. Where is Jesus? Mary and Joseph. 
Now, you would think that these are good parents, right? Mary and Joseph. You would think that they would know. And so they said, they're going, where is Jesus? And they just said, we got to go back. So they go back to Jerusalem, and they find them. The Bible says after three days, they found them in the temple courts. And it says that he was sitting among teachers, listening to them. Jesus, asking questions. And then it says, and everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. First time Jesus was in Jerusalem. He decides to stay by a little bit. Spend some time with the rabbis, right? I love that. And then he says to them, because they're like, you know, saying, hey, hey, what, what are you doing, man? You should be with us. And Jesus says these words. He says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? I mean, really, was, was that like rocket science for you to figure out this is where I was? You know where I'm going to be. I wonder if they would say that about you if they were searching for you. I wonder if they would say, you know, if you can't find me, go to the church first. Because most likely that's where I'm going to be. Wouldn't that be cool? Now, let's talk about uh, a few years later. And it's, uh, the story is found in Matthew chapter 13. We're just going to look at a few verses here. And uh, I, I love this. Uh, that story, by the way, in Luke 2 that I just shared with you ends by saying that then he went back with mom and dad, to Nazareth. That's where he grew up. And he was obedient to them. And mom treasured everything that had happened. And it says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, in favor with God and man. So all, that was it. That was the last moment that we get this sense of Jesus as a little boy. The next thing we know that is that, that decades go by. And Jesus is now... An adult. And all his life, he's been working as a carpenter in his father's carpenter shop. You get that, right? So he's building cabinets, and he's building tables, and he's, he's building chairs. He, he's, this is what he does in Nazareth, right? Now, in Matthew 13, we have this thing we call a homecoming. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. Jesus had just cast out a legion of demons from a possessed man. He healed the woman with a terrible, incurable disease and raised the little girl to life. He's been doing some pretty amazing things here. Uh, he's energized and encouraged. His disciples are all energized and encouraged with him. And, they have these, and they're going back to Nazareth. Because they've been doing all this stuff in Jerusalem and around and, and just healing people. And, and he's, he's going back now to Nazareth. He's going home. In fact, there was a verse in the Bible that, that says, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That's how bad Nazareth. Jesus grew up, you understand that, right? Jesus grew up in a bad town. So bad that people were going, Can anything really good come out of this town? It's like, 
for me, it was like the Bronx, you know? Like, if, if I found out Jesus was from the Bronx, I'd be sitting there going, can anything really come out of the Bronx? I mean, Jesus in the Bronx, really? You know, I think, huh? Finley. That's true, yes. <laughs> All right, let's continue here, okay. Yet, as Jesus enters Nazareth, the comfort of familiarity happens. You ever gone back home? And, and, this, and this begins to cheer his spirit. I, I, last, last Christmas, I got to go back to New York. We rented a car. We were driving. I, 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 it, was, it, it, was, it was very, very cold. But we're driving over the GW Bridge in this rental car. And I go, honey, open the windows. Let me breathe that New York air. She looked at me like I was nuts, and I am, you know. But just the, oh, look, look. You know, there's that, and there's that, and there's that thing. Oh, man, check it out. Chinatown is just down that way, you know. And Little Italy, oh, man, we got to go to Little Italy. I mean, you know, we're just talking about it. And then as I got closer and closer to New Rochelle, just the familiarity. Sometimes when I go back home, I just want to walk around the neighborhood that I grew up in. That's where Peter lived, and that's, that right there is where uh, Stinky lived. That's what we called him. And uh, uh, that's, you know, that's, that's where Robert lived, and, you know, Colette. Colette lived in that house right there, and I just, I just I can't help it, you know. It's just all these memories going home, and Jesus is experiencing this. The smell of jasmine, the sound of the market, the sight of familiar faces, the cart he had just fixed a few years ago. He's seeing it. It's still working. Cool. Awesome. And then he sees something. And maybe there were even some very common handshakes and embraces. In those days, they, they kissed each other. Maybe they even said, my, Jesus, how have you grown? since the last time you were here. Anybody ever been to an alumni weekend? Yeah? You, you, yeah. I've never been to one. Not my own, anyway. <laughs> when I worked at Blue Mountain Academy and I worked at Highland View Academy, there were always alumni weekends. And they, they're, always, they're intriguing to me. I have mixed feelings about them. I'm not going to lie to you. I like to walk around. I see people uh, kind of embracing each other. They're looking at their picture. They're trying to find their picture on the wall, you know, because that's what they do at Alumni Weekend, right? I eavesdrop on conversations. Do you remember so-and-so? Can you believe when Bobby Jones did this and Cindy did that? Do you remember what the scandal it caused when they did this? And I'm sitting there listening to these conversations. It's so interesting to listen to it all. My favorite is, oh my, how have you have changed? 25 years, you're fatter, balder. You got trifocals on, right? And then there are those who want to know your life update. So what have you been doing all this time? I love that. I wish somebody would just turn around and say, you know, I sell hot dogs on the corner of 5th and Clark and Pasco and moonlight on the weekends as a rabbi in the local synagogue. <laughs> I don't know. Wouldn't that be cool to just like hear somebody say that, you know? They always have to come up with some kind of like way to say, you know, well, I, well I'm really a you know, technician for this uh, 
organization that gets rid of uh, stuff. Uh, he's really a garbage man, but that's, you know, that's, he's trying to come up with a way to say this so that it's a little, sounds nicer, sounds better, right? I always thought about it. I, 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 I can't imagine how funny it would be to attend my alumni weekend in New Rochelle. I've never been. But it would be my 40th. <laughs> right? It's a long time. I can't imagine if I would ever go back and they would ask me that question, you know. Oh my, how have you changed? So what have you been doing all these years? Well, let's see. Uh, since I left New Rochelle High School, I've been studying the Bible. I gave up the rock star way. I went to college, believe it or not. I got a degree in education, a degree in psychology, a degree, degree in theology. And now I teach and counsel as a pastor in Richland, Washington. Right about that time, I'm dialing 911 because they're fainting and I'm doing CPR on the guy, right? Because they have no clue. There's no way on earth that they would ever know this about me. Once in a while, somebody on Facebook, they're like, are you the Sergio Manette, you know? Because it is so totally different, right? But I remember when I first became a believer and then I began to talk to my friends about it and talk to my family about it, they were the ones that were the most resistant. Have you noticed this? And this is what I want to get to right now. I want to get to the fact that, you know, we've been talking a lot about being contagious for Jesus Christ. But let's be honest. The most difficult people to, to touch, the most difficult people to share Christ with are those who are closest to you. Isn't that true? Those, of, those who are your friends, those who are your family. It took forever for my family to ever accept the fact that I was a pastor. They remembered me as little Sergio. They remembered me as the rock and roll guy with long hair, you know, who smoked pot down the street. They can never imagine. In fact, I can tell you this. I remember when I first became a, a believer and I was trying to figure out how to m make this happen, right? I remember them saying to me things and testing me and trying to trip me up. I remember even, even my own, the president of the conference, we used to go over to their house for, uh, for Bible studies. He loved that. He and his wife, uh, Merlin and Juanita Kretschmar, they would have us over. We would go there, drive all the way to Long Island, which was a long way for us. All the way there, we would have Bible studies and everything. But once he found out that I wanted to be a pastor, he was a little hesitant because he knew me as the long-haired guy that got converted. Isn't it true that we struggle to see people as the new people? Isn't that true? We just cannot imagine that that is going to happen. So Matthew 13. Beginning with verse 53. It should be on the screen here soon. It says, When Jesus finished these parables, he moved on from there, coming to his hometown. And he began teaching the people in the synagogues. And the Bible says that they were what? They were amazed. They weren't amazed from the perspective of, wow, he's good. No, 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 no. They were amazed that it was Jesus. And they say, 
where, there's a, they begin to ask questions, right? There's a whole kinds of questions in here. The first question is, where did this man get this wisdom that has been given him that he even talks like this and does miracles? How is this possible? Isn't this Jesus? I mean, where did this guy get, the, where, why didn't he share this stuff with us before? Did he go to a rabbi school? I, what's going on here? Where did this guy get this wisdom? Have you ever had that question asked you? Like, where on earth did you learn this stuff? What makes you think you know more than us? Really? The Bible? Is there more of an update, contemporary thing that you can share with us? I've had, I, actually, I remember my brother Claudio, who's an intelligent, bright young man. I remember him, well, he was young then. He's not so young now. He's older, but anyway. So, but he, I remember him asking me these, like, scientific questions to try to trip me up and I would give him biblical answers and, and he couldn't he, he just didn't he, he couldn't see it like what makes you think you're so smart have you had anybody allude that to you do you know what I'm talking about see, see if you don't you probably haven't shared the gospel with a family member in a long time and you probably haven't shared the gospel with a family member for a long time because you got tired of being rejected. But I want to give you some, some, some comfort here, and that is that, uh, that they did it to Jesus. Did you catch that? And I, every time this happens to me, I always say to myself, if they did it to Jesus, obviously there's a good chance they're going to do it to me. And here's what I want to share with you. Please understand this. I can only receive someone at the level I perceive him. I want to say that again. I don't know, I feel like we have to stand up and sing Father Abraham or something. Everybody okay today? Is it just too cold in here? Maybe we ought to bring down the heat. I don't know what it is. Listen carefully. I can only receive someone at the level that I can perceive them. In other words, if I think of somebody the way they used to be, I can't receive them for what they are. Teachers experience this all the time. When a, when a uh, third grader goes to fourth grade, and the third grade teacher says to the fourth grade teacher, hey, be careful for little Bobby, Okay? Because he's a bit of a reckless kid and he'll always talk out of turn. And you're going to have. The moment the fourth grade teacher hears this, guess what happens? There's a bias, right? You've can't, you cannot allow that bias to get in the way. And for these people, the bias was Jesus, the carpenter. This cannot be. If your picture of God is not bigger than you, You will never run out of paper to draw him. In fact, all you need is like a little piece. That's it. Where did this man get this wisdom? And then they said the next question. Isn't this what? Isn't this the carpenter's son? I love this. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? 
And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, aren't, there, aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And it says this, don't miss this, and they took offense at him. The next time you share Christ with somebody, think about this for a moment. Think about the fact that Jesus, God himself is there. He's trying to teach, and they take offense at him. Why? Because they perceive him in a way that is wrong. This is Mary's boy. We know his brothers. They're no angels. <laughs> Have you seen James lately? Come on. The long hair and stuff, you know. How can a carpenter from Nazareth, Nazareth, hello, Nazareth, this is our town, right? How can a carpenter from Nazareth be the Messiah? Like, really? I mean, seriously, suppose, suppose I came up here and told you that I just found out that, uh, I, I believe this with all my heart, you know, uh, that uh, Chris here is Jesus. He's been amongst us the whole time. Here's what you would, let me tell you, even just me saying this in the supposition, your mind is going all over the place. Well, that, there's no way. First of all, it's the Tri-Cities. Why would he be doing here, right? Number two, let's be honest, okay? I mean, the next time Jesus comes, theologically, he will not be touching his feet on the ground. You know, now we start going through all this stuff. And all, everything that you perceive is going to get in the way of you receiving something like that. Isn't that true? Now, I've got good news. He's not. But this is the point. It's good news for him, by the way. <laughs> the point is that we cannot... I, can, I understand these people. I get it. Right? They couldn't get past the image they had of Jesus from his boyhood. I mean, think about this. Somebody there was living in a house or eating at a table physically built by God himself. Which, by the way, must have been a pretty good house, huh? You didn't have to call Jesus twice. How would you like to have a chair made by Jesus by his own hands? How cool would that be? So they were fine accepting him as a carpenter, but they were not fine accepting him as the Messiah. That would be just an impossibility. Now, there is a, a sentence. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, this phrase. It says, familiarity breeds Anybody know? Contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. In other words, the more familiar you are with somebody, the more you're apt to perceive them in a way that, that doesn't make you allow you to appreciate them. Does that make sense? This happens all the time. Like right now, some of you are not even appreciating this sermon. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> this, comes, this comes from an Italian proverb, actually. That's why I like it. And let me give you the Italian version of it, and then I will translate it literally for you so that you don't miss the power of this sentence. The Italian version is confidenza toglie riverenza. Confidenza toglie riverenza. My mom used to say this to me all the time. I never understood it. I didn't really care at the time. But basically, this is what it's actually saying. Familiarity removes 
awe. Isn't that good? Familiarity removes awe. In other words, the more familiar you are with something, the less you are awed and wowed by it. Is it possible that we can become immune to Jesus? Is it possible that we can become immune to the Bible? Is it possible that we can become immune to church, to sermons? See, this was the case with Jesus of Nazareth. People who had a lengthy exposure to, to Jesus, they couldn't see him for what he really was, the Messiah. And people who have a lengthy exposure to Christianity should be alert to some dangerous tendencies that, that happen all the time. Right now, many of you are experiencing the lack of awe of what God... How many of you know, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that if you were to die today, your sins are forgiven and that you have eternal life? Like, no, no, like, really? How many of you really, like, see, yeah, see, if I knew that, I mean, you got to raise your hand. Hi, man, I know that. And see, if that's the case, there should be nothing, nothing on this earth that can ever change that. Nothing on this earth could ever really make a difference, no matter what happens. No matter, we talked about this in Sabbath school this morning, man. It was so awesome. Nothing. Things, bad things happen to us on this earth. But guess what? This earth is not my home. This earth is just a temporary place, and I have eternal life because of Jesus Christ, my Savior. And once we get that, yeah, somebody applaud that. Thank you very much. Once we get there, once we get to that understanding, we, we can't, can't let go of it. See, God knew that we were fickle. God knew that we are forgetful. That's why he said, remember the Sabbath day. That's why he said, don't forget to come together, because you guys are going to need at least once a week to be reminded of the fact that I am awesome. That's what God is saying, not me. God, okay? God is awesome. You need to be reminded of that. God is awesome, and we lose sight of that. In your own life, here at the Richland Church, could there be a danger that Jesus can become too routine? Too artificial. Last uh, Sabbath, a few of us were at the river for the picnic at the park. And we had all finished eating. We were just kind of sitting around and enjoying. And I won't say who, Kenny, had filled up these water bottles and then started putting little holes in them. And little Jimmy and little Eric went over there, and I don't know how this started because I missed it somewhere, but all of a sudden, Keeney squeezed on the bottle and the waters that are spurting out. <laughs> and the kids began to run away, you know, and, and so then, and I forget, I don't know which one's which, I don't even think the parents did, but one of the ones went up. Come on, don't lie to me. They're so, they look so amazingly alike. One of them just decided to have, which one was it? I need to know. Anybody know? Was it Jimmy or was it Eric? <laughs> Mom is like, wait a minute, what am I admitting to? One of them had a little more courage than the other and started first to go towards Keeney 
and start experiencing the joy of being totally soaked by this wonderful water because it was so hot. I will tell you this, there were adults sitting around mesmerized by this kid who was in total awe of this moment, of this, uh, this, this remanufactured bottle that can do this all of a sudden. And he would run and get sprayed and come back around and would run again. And, and the, uh, the brother kept looking, you know. And he's like, okay, I got to get in on this. Now they're both doing it. They're running to, towards uh, Keeney, and Keeney's just having a blast, right? Now, I got to tell you this. There was a bunch of adults there, and we were all dying of heat. And we all thought, boy, that might feel really good. But no, we're adults. There's no way on earth this is happening, right? But sure it was. <laughs> because now Keeney began to weaponize them. And so now they've got these bottles, and they're going around, and they're chasing everybody. They chase. I get up to go home. Now they're chasing me. You know, and I lost the awe of just playing, and just, just. I, I, I lost the joy of that. I remember driving home. I kid you not. I'm driving home, and I'm thinking, what's wrong with me? I should have enjoyed that a little longer. I could have taken the bottle and sprayed them, and we could have just wrestled and just gotten soaking wet and got home, and my wife would have said, like, what is up with you, you know? And I'd be like, I just awed with little Jimmy and little Eric. Do you know what I'm talking about? We, I think that's why Jesus says, you know, unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God because little children still are in awe. Right? And we have lost this totally. So we have this limiting, limiting view. They, the, the people in Nazareth, they were limited by what they could see, by what they know, and what they could understand. They couldn't believe that God could do much more than that. What they had before them was the Messiah, the Son of God. What they saw was the carpenter, the Son of Mary. What they had before them was the king of the universe. What they saw was a, a dirty guy with dirty sandals. And there's no way that this guy from Nazareth could be the Messiah. We limit him every time. We look at things, familiar things and situations, and not believe that God can do anything about it. We limit him. We limit him when we see ourselves and we know ourselves too well and not believe that God can use us to do great things for him. That God could use us to actually reach somebody for his glory. We limit him every time we look at our attempts with our families over all these years and can't believe that God can actually do something to my brother, to my son to my daughter, to my father, to my uncle. We limit him when we see our church and not believe that God can bring a revival so that the lost through us. Can make their way across the threshold of eternity. We limit him when we look at our unsaved friends and not believe that God can ever become amazing and all inspiring to them. I don't know if you remember this. Once in a while I say it, 
and I want to say it now because I believe it with all my heart. And we lose the awe of even this statement. Uh, I said it at a funeral a couple of weeks ago, and somebody came up to me and said, can you repeat that to me? And I thought, oh, wow, somebody has never heard it before. But this is so true, and I believe it with all my heart. God is bigger than the obvious. He is more powerful than the predictable. And he loves to give impossibility and inferiority complex. Do you believe that? God is bigger than the obvious. He is more powerful than the predictable. And he loves to give impossibility and inferiority complex. And so I pray every day, God, broaden my perspective to see beyond the obvious. Help me, Lord, to embrace the unexpected, to nullify the predictable. Help me, Father, to trust with, the, with, with who you are as an unconventional God to achieve the impossible because, God, you can do it. And every time I think you can't, I limit you. Because anything you could do, you can only do it within the context of how I perceive you. In fact, if you don't believe me, guess what happens here. It says in verse um, 27, they took offense at him, but Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And it says this, catch this man. I love this statement right here. It's so intense. It says, and he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Think about that. It wasn't because of his lack of power. It was because of their lack of faith. How many broken hearts could have been mended? How many captives to fears, insecurity, shame, and guilt could have been set free? How many in bondage to habits, captives to ego and pride and could have been... Liberated from that iron mask, how many blind, how many deaf, how many crippled could have been healed? But they would not. Not because of his lack of power, but because of their lack of faith. Is it possible that God wants to match his power to our faith? So what do you do? What do you do when your family does not accept you? So I want to I kind of end with this little thought. First of all, if you don't do this yet, you should do this every day. Pray for them every single day, knowing that God loves them even more than you love them. Is that possible? Number two, and it's okay to do this, find someone else to reach them and offer them obscure support just in the background. I can't tell you how many have come to me and said, could you please help my son? Could you help my daughter? Could you, could you help this guy? And, could you? and it's just somebody totally unfamiliar. And it's not mom or it's not dad and it's not this person or that. It's not a brother. It's just, and it just, it, for some reason, God does that. That's okay. This next one's really hard, but I want to tell you. Perfectionism 
is impossible to attain and is the biggest turnoff to people. Some of you may have to go to your sons and daughters, your siblings, and say, you know what? I am not perfect. I've tried to act like I was. I tried to act like everything was right and that I was just amazing because God came into my... But I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I am a forgiven sinner. You know, when I began to do that, everything began to change in my family. To the point that my brother came to me when he was 50 years old and said he was getting married for the first time. Catholic. Grew up in a Catholic family, everything. And he said to me, he said, Sergio, would you do the honors and marry us? He had no idea how much that honored me. I wanted to quickly say, of course. But I wanted to milk in this bast in this moment here. And I said, Sally, you're Catholic. There's some great priests out there. Why don't you just ask a priest? And he looked at me and he said, I really want someone that I know that loves God and is real to do the wedding for us. And I did this wedding. There were hundreds of Catholics there, including his father-in-law. And during the reception, (laughs) it's a funny moment, Nancy and I were sitting there, and he comes up, and he's a little tipsy. You know what I mean, right? And he goes, he's got a big cigar in his mouth. He goes, I got to tell you, man. That was the best blankety-blank sermon I'd ever heard in my life. (laughs) And he gave me this big hug. And it was only because I was able to say, look, you know, I don't know it all. This is the way it is. Here's what I learned from my mom and dad. I, I used to start wedding sermons with, you know, the Ten Commandments of marriage, you know. Then it was like the ten ideas about marriage. And I was like, then the ten suggestions about marriage, you know. <laughs> now it's like ten questions about marriage, you know. So perfectionism is impossible to attain and is a turnoff. Be an example of forgiven and giving believer. Let them see Jesus in you. Be contagious. Amen? There's this little thing called the paradoxical commandments. I don't know if you've ever heard this. I love this. It says people are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you will win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness may make you vulnerable, but be honest and frank anyway. The biggest men and women with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest men and women with the smallest minds, but think big anyway. People favor underdogs, but follow only top dogs. Fight for a few underdogs anyway. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People really need help, but 
they may attack you if you do try to help them. Help them anyway. And then finally, give the world the best you have and you'll get kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best you have anyway. And you live that kind of a life and people will not be able to help see it. And don't limit God. Now, if you are in this room and you've been the one incredulous that there is a God that can change the people around you. If you're sitting in this room and you're the one who says, yeah, I know what my mom teaches me. I know what my father teaches me. I know what my brother says. And I'm just here because I have to be here or whatever, you know. Don't underestimate the treasure because the chest is dirty and broken. You following me? There was a lady in uh, a faded plain dress and a man in a homespun suit that decided to uh, visit. They walked into the office and asked to see the president of Harvard University. The receptionist thought, well, you know, what would these simple hicks have to do with the president of Harvard University? So she said, you know, he's, he's too busy. He's busy all day. They said, we'll wait. We'll wait till he's done. So after several hours, she finally called in the president and asked, would you give them just a few minutes to get rid of them? He agreed. The couple sheepishly walked into the office as the president began to move towards them. And you could just tell that there was a, a bit of an arrogance and a bit of a, I'm too busy for you, and I, okay, what do you need? What do you want, you know? And the lady said, we had a son who attended Harvard for a year, and he loved it. But a year ago, he was killed in an accident. My husband and I would like to erect a memorial for him somewhere here on this campus. The president, very perturbed and condescendingly, said, we cannot erect statues for everyone that wants to, because their son died and went to Harvard. You know, we'd have to look, look like a cemetery here, please, you know. And so she says, uh, we, we, we don't want to build a statue. We want to donate money to build a building. president rolled his eyes. He looked at them in their unsophisticated clothing instead of building. you have any idea how much that would cost? There's over $7 million in the physical plant here at Harvard. The lady got silent. And the president was pleased. And at that point, Mr. and Mrs. Leland Stafford looked at each other And she said, is that all it cost to start a university? Why don't we just start our own? Her husband nodded, and the president looked bewildered, and they left. Mr. and Mrs. Leland Stafford walked away from Harvard and went to Palo Alto, California, where they established Stanford University (laughs) as a memorial to a son that Harvard no longer could care about. Don't underestimate the treasure in the chest 
just because the chest looks dirty or simple or broken. There's this old song that we used to sing. I'll never forget it. Uh, when I first was uh, ordained, we sang this song. It was an old hymn. It's called Take My Life and Let It Be, Consecrated Unto Thee. Take my lips, take my feet, take my hand, take my wallet, take everything, Lord. I just want to serve you. And if I'm not accepted, Lord, make sure that I am right with you and that I'm not arrogant or condescending, Lord. Please make sure, Lord, that I can shine for you. And if I just shine for you, maybe one day. Amen? Amen. So don't give up praying on those loved ones. Don't give up shining for Jesus. Be contagious for him always.